0: So I've heard from many that my father uh, was such a card, or, boy, I enjoyed your dad so much. He's, he's, oh, he always cracks me up. And it's true, my dad loved having an audience and he was always a performer and he was always performing for others. Back when we were young children, dad would come home from a day at the work at work and uh, gathering us all around the table, would tells us stories of the animals that he met on the train. There was the, um, excuse me, there was a hippo, there was a hippo with purple polka dotted dress, or there was the the um, the poodle with bright blue hair. I tell you, these were some strange tales for 1962. But the strangest thing of all was that all of these animals got off at Flushing Meadow. (laughs) When we were a little older, the stories changed. Um, We would get into um, riddles and and, and series number series. We learned about this native at the fork in the trail. And in just one question, we had to figure out where were the truth tellers camp. So um, then um, a little bit later on, Dad would go into uh, number series, and um, Bruce would always get them. Some of them, you know, even when I heard the answer, I didn't know how you got there. Bruce did. Dad never failed to entertain us around the table in in the evening, and... um, so dad tells a story about when we first moved to Port Washington, where um, a welcoming committee came to, to greet us. And um, is that better? And um, uh, you know, they, they, they came in and invited dad, to, dad and mom to sing with them in the porch singers. Um, and dad got this picture of these old fogies sitting on their porch, um, in, their, in their swings, singing gospel hymns. This wasn't for him. But he did learn later on that it was really the port singers, and it was uh, a group that uh, had a winter concert every year and a uh, spring musical. Um, at one point, Dad actually got to sing a solo in... Uh, in South Pacific, where he was one of the, the three um, sailors that was caught on the island. Um, and he, he actually did sing a solo, but you know he loved doing these shows, and it was awesome. And you know, um, Over the time, over the years, he brought his wife and some of his children into the port singers as well to, to sing for a year or so. There was another uh, theater group in town called um, Play Troupe, They did a children's musical every year, um, and most of us kids were involved in at least one or more of these uh, productions, Um, and Dad, of course, was right there hamming it up as only he could. Dad didn't need a stage, however, to perform. He just needed an audience. Um, And having a large family, he was pretty sure of having one most of the time. We all grew up uh, singing songs around the campfire, um, and many of Dad's favorites were the ones that were a call and response, where the leader, usually my father, would sing the first line and the rest of us would sing it back to him. One of his favorites of these was sip and cider through a stall, through a straw. (laughs) Hard to sip it through a stall. At any rate, in a latter verse of the song, uh, I always found very appropriate. It went like this: Now 49 kids, 49 kids all, call all call me Paul from sip inside, through, through a straw. Now 49 kids all call me Paul from sip inside, through a straw. So boys and girls. We're not done yet. You'll get your chance. So boys and girls, take my advice. And don't sip cider. it ain't nice. So boys and girls, take my advice. And don't sip cider, it ain't nice. Thank you.
1: So just before this service started, I asked Rick, who should go first? And he said he wanted to go first because he would get you all laughing. And he said, and mine is much um, more fun than yours is. And I said, well, that's fine. That's the way it always is. He says, yes, (laughs) yes, and you'll bring everyone down. (laughs) Is what he said. All right. So I was talking with my sister Pamela about this service. And she sent me this verse from Proverbs. She said, or Proverbs says, start children off on the way they should go and even when they are old they will not turn from it. And that's what dad did for his children. He taught me that the ways to go included a commitment to family, a commitment to church, and a commitment to community. And within that framework, there were lots and lots of choices, and he opened the door to so many of them. He taught me to love the mountains, and here we are. He taught me to never stop walking in the middle of the hill. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Because the raisins and the lifesavers were only available once we got to the top. So I have to confess that as an adult, I sometimes stop in the middle of the hill. But once I've caught my breath, I respond to the call of the summit. And that is a metaphor that has um, guided many of the choices that I've made in my life. Mom and dad committed their lives to raising six very different and ultimately happy children. It was their first priority even when the mountains seemed too steep to climb. We ate dinner together as a family every night, and I will tell you that every night we heard about the animals on the train. Every night. We vacationed and we camped together every summer. We went to church together, many of us sang in the choir, and we brought our friends into the youth group. Band and varsity choir concerts, musicals, they were all family events. And of course, there was always Carvel's ice cream at the end of the evening to make it all just a little sweeter. This model for parenting formed the basis of my parenting of my very own children, and I'm forever grateful to my mom and my dad for gifting me with that. Dad told me, and he told me this almost every time I saw him, how proud he was of his children. Surely he was equally proud of the father that he had been to all of us. About 20 years ago, Gretel came into our lives. Dad and Gretel found each other at a time when they both needed the love and the support that they gave to each other every day. Dad loved his big family, and I guess he decided that two sisters, one brother, three nieces, a nephew-in-law, six children, Five daughters and sons-in-laws, 17 grandchildren, seven grandchildren-in-law, and nine great-grandchildren wasn't quite big enough. So Dad and Gretel's love for each other gave us all the gift of adding Gretel, Sam, Kathy, Michael, and Willie into our ever-expanding family circle. In fact, on her wedding day, Gretel told my brother Bruce, that he was no longer number one son. (laughs) Gretel and Dad enjoyed sharing their very different life practices with each other, and they shared them with us. Gretel introduced my son to matzo ball soup, and although I'm quite certain that I made it exactly the way you did, Jeff always told me that it wasn't the way Gretel made it. Dad and Gretel chose the Unitarian Universalist Church as their faith home, where Dad continued his lifelong practice of service to the church by leading the finance committee and singing in the choir, while Gretel served on the hostess committee. Dad and Gretel loved to travel. Dad introduced Gretel to the national parks, and they attended family reunions around the country. But they always were happy to get home to their haven on the lake at Conesty Falls, Dad enjoyed his days there swimming, paddling his canoe, hiking, and speed walking. As an aside, Gretel didn't love that canoe or that swimming as much. She told me that the lake was too wet. (laughs) (laughs) But like every other area of their lives together, Gretel came down and joined Dad on the dock. They were a couple in every sense of the word in their daily activities, and in their commitment to each other. Lives change, and we all get older. Dad and Gretel lovingly supported each other through some pretty tough bumps the last several years. As Dad's memory and ability to communicate continued to decline, the one thing he never lost was his immense gratitude toward those who crossed his path. He looked forward to the weekly phone call with Hyacinth. He loved visits from Jim and me. He carefully kept his calendar and referred to it for weeks before Bruce came to visit so that he would make sure that he didn't have any medical appointments that would get in the way of his time with his son. Dad proudly wore the shirt that Bruce gave him, and he wore it every day. (laughs) And he told me every day that it was the best shirt ever because it has... Two pockets, that's right. It's true. He appreciated the staff at the bridge when they treated his feet and his face, when they brought him his medicine, and when they served him his meals. Dad loved to eat, and nothing got in the way of mealtime. Most of all, Dad loved spending his days holding Gretel's hand. And he would definitely love knowing that we're all here today remembering our lives with him at the helm.
2: A long-held understanding of the Franciscans is that the first Bible is creation. Long before any of the oral tradition stories began being passed on around the campfires from generation to generation, long before stories of the beginning of this whole planet, the beginning of human beings, long before the stories of floods and exile and being freed from bondage, long before the stories of Jesus who, who at one wedding created so much wine that the town would have been under the table for a week if they had drunk it all, long before any of those stories were collated and put down on paper and passed on from generation to generation, all we as a species had was creation. To speak to us of the sacred, to speak to us of the divine, to speak to us of life, the seasons, the terrain, the human beings that inhabited it, and how those human relationships manifested the very image of God through which they were created. That's all human beings had for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And in time, we started putting it on paper, and the Franciscans also suggest that was really a shame. Because the difference between the paper one and creation itself is that creation can't be co-opted. We can't say to creation, well, actually, we're right in the middle of winter right now, aren't we? No. No. Words we can fuss over and and go back and say, I wonder what that writer really meant. Or, really, I think this is what God was saying in this passage, and after all, God does love me better than my siblings, right? So I know what's best. I'm not poo-pooing the written scriptures. They are gorgeous and beautiful and sometimes crazy. And yet creation is something we can't co-opt. Creation says there are seasons to life. Creation says there is terrain sometimes which is simple and smooth and green and pastoral, and then sometimes there are those hills that you wonder if you're going to make it to the top. That is who God is. That is what life with God is all about. And I think Bruce understood something about that, something about creation being that which is the deepest source of the manifestation of the sacred. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where my strength comes. There is a presence in this world. There is a presence in us that does never go away. And whether it is the cold, bitter season of winter where we just get inside and and hunker down in the fallow time, or whether it's this springtime where at least most of the pollen has passed for a while, and yet those green leaves are still with us, We know that life has those and that what we are called to do is to be present to them. It's really what the writer of the Gospel of John is saying where he has Jesus saying in God's house there are many dwelling places and that word, see I'm going to now go to what we do with the paper what it really means is abiding that's what that word really means it really does actually and what it means when Jesus says that is We have seen a lot of chapters of life, and you're going to see more, and some of them are going to be rejoicing days and some tough ones, but in all those spaces and in all those places is where God abides, and God is still creating those abiding places, and what we're called to do is not to pretend about them or run from them, but be in them and abide in them, and that's what Bruce did whether he was going through a chapter that was lush and green or cold and fallow, whether it was these stories of the animals on the train, whatever it was, it was a place to abide, to be with. Human relationships are a place to abide, not to manipulate, but to be present. It's very clear that when we talk about death, uh, as we say in one of the Eucharistic prayers, that in death life is not ended but changed. And Bruce Bruce is certainly not with us physically, but it is clear by just the two short remembrances we heard here that he's still in the DNA. And the stories continue. That is the power of the passed on stories of spirit and life. And certainly what Bruce has told us today, I didn't know he was a Franciscan, but certainly he must have been, because he would say, be present and abide in creation. And know that wherever you are in life, God and I, Bruce, and everyone who has gone before and everyone who will ever be is abiding in this moment with us. And our call is to tell the stories, to share the meals and to abide in this world. Amen.